0: Section 72 Part 4 of 4 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by Jim Clevenger Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant Report of Lieutenant-General U.S. Grant of the United States Armies, 1864-1865, continued. On the twenty-fourth of March, the following instructions for a general movement of the armies operating against Richmond were issued. City Point, Virginia, March twenty-fourth, eighteen sixty-five, General, On the twenty-ninth instant, the armies operating against Richmond will be moved by our left for the double purpose of turning the enemy out of his present position around Petersburg and to ensure the success of the cavalry under General Sheridan, which will start at the same time in its efforts to reach and destroy the South Side and Danville railroads. Two corps of the Army of the Potomac will be moved at first in two columns, taking the two roads crossing Hatcher's Run, nearest where the present line held by us strikes that stream, both moving towards Dinwiddie Courthouse. The cavalry under General Sheridan, joined by the division now under General Davies, will move at the same time, by the Weldon Road and the Jerusalem Plank Road, turning west from the latter before crossing the Nottoway and west with the whole column before reaching Stony Creek. General Sheridan will then move independently under other instructions which will be given him. All dismounted cavalry belonging to the Army of the Potomac and the dismounted cavalry from the middle military division, not required for guarding property belonging to their arm of service, will report to Brigadier General Benham to be added to the defenses of City Point. Major General Park will be left in command of all the army left for holding the lines about Petersburg and City Point, subject, of course, to orders from the commander of the Army of the Potomac The Ninth Army Corps will be left intact to hold the present line of works so long as the whole line now occupied by us is held. If, however, the troops to the left of the Ninth Corps are withdrawn, then the left of the Corps may be thrown back so as to occupy the position held by the army prior to the capture of the Weldon Road. All troops to the left of the Ninth Corps will be held in readiness to move at the shortest notice by such route as may be designated when the order is given. General Ord will detach three divisions, two white and one colored, or so much of them as he can, and hold his present lines and march for the present left of the Army of the Potomac in the absence of further orders or until further orders are given the white divisions will follow the left column of the army of the potomac and the colored division the right column during the movement major-general Weitzel will be left in command of all the forces remaining behind from the army of the james the movement of troops from the army of the james will commence on the night of the twenty-seventh instant general ord will leave behind the minimum number of cavalry necessary for picket duty in the absence of the main army a cavalry expedition from general ord's command will also be started from suffolk to leave there on saturday the first of april under colonel sumner for the purpose of cutting the railroad about Hicksford. This, if accomplished, will have to be a surprise, and therefore from three to five hundred men will be sufficient. They should, however, be supported by all the infantry that can be spared from Norfolk and Portsmouth as far out as to where the cavalry crosses the Blackwater. The crossing should probably be at Uniton, Should Colonel Sumner succeed in reaching the Weldon Road, he will be instructed to do all the damage possible to the triangle of roads between Hicksford, Weldon, and Gaston. The railroad bridge at Weldon, being fitted up for the passage of carriages, it might be practicable to destroy any accumulation of supplies the enemy may have collected south of the Roanoke. All the troops will move with four days' rations in haversacks and eight days in wagons to avoid as much hauling as possible and to give the Army of the James the same number of days' supplies with the Army of the Potomac. General Ord will direct his commissary and quartermaster to have sufficient supplies delivered at the terminus of the road to fill up in passing sixty rounds of ammunition per man will be taken in wagons and as much grain as the transportation on hand will carry after taking the specified amount of other supplies the densely wooded country in which the army has to operate making the use of much artillery impracticable the amount taken with the army will be reduced to six or eight guns to each division at the option of the army commanders. All necessary preparations for carrying these directions into operation may be commenced at once. The reserves of the Ninth Corps should be massed as much as possible. While I would not now order an unconditional attack on the enemy's line by them, they should be ready and should make the attack if the enemy weakens his line in their front without waiting for orders. In case they carry the line, then the whole of the Ninth Corps could follow up so as to join or cooperate with the balance of the army. To prepare for this, the Ninth Corps will have rations issued to them, same as the balance of the army. General Weitzel will keep vigilant watch upon his front and if found at all practicable to break through at any point he will do so a success north of the james should be followed up with great promptness an attack will not be feasible unless it is found that the enemy has detached largely in that case it may be regarded as evident that the enemy are relying upon their local reserves principally for the defense of Richmond. Preparations may be made for abandoning all the line north of the James, except enclosed works, only to be abandoned, however, after a break is made in the lines of the enemy. By these instructions, a large part of the armies operating against Richmond is left behind. The enemy, knowing this, may, as an only chance, strip their lines to the merest skeleton in the hope of advantage not being taken of it, while they hurl themselves against the moving column and return. It cannot be impressed too strongly upon commanders of troops left in the trenches not to allow this to occur without taking advantage of it, the very fact of the enemy coming out to attack, if he does so, might be regarded as almost conclusive evidence of such a weakening of his lines. I would have it particularly enjoined upon corps commanders that, in case of an attack from the enemy, those not attacked are not to wait for orders from the commanding officer of the army to which they belong, but that they will move promptly and notify the commander of their action. I would also enjoin the same action on the part of division commanders when other parts of their corps are engaged. In like manner, I would urge the importance of following up a repulse of the enemy. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General, Major Generals Meade, Ord, and Sheridan. Early on the morning of the 25th, the enemy assaulted our lines in front of the ninth corps which held from the appomattox river towards our left and carried fort Stedman, and a part of the line to the right and left of it established themselves and turned the guns of the fort against us but our troops on either flank held their ground until the reserves were brought up when the enemy was driven back with a heavy loss in killed and wounded and 1,900 prisoners. Our loss was 68 killed, 337 wounded, and 506 missing. General Meade at once ordered the other corps to advance and field the enemy and their respective fronts. Pushing forward, they captured and held the enemy's strongly entrenched picket line in front of the 2nd and 6th corps, and eight hundred and thirty-four prisoners the enemy made desperate attempts to retake this line but without success our loss in front of these was fifty-two killed eight hundred and sixty-four wounded and two hundred and seven missing the enemy's loss in killed and wounded was far greater general sherman having got his troops all quietly in camp about goldsboro and his preparations for furnishing supplies to them perfected visited me at city point on the twenty seventh of march and stated that he would be ready to move as he had previously written me by the tenth of april fully equipped and rationed for twenty days if it should become necessary to bring his command to bear against lee's army in cooperation with our forces in front of richmond and petersburg general sherman proposed in this movement to threaten raleigh and then by turning suddenly to the right reach the roanoke at gaston or thereabouts whence he could move on to the richmond and danville railroad striking it in the vicinity of berksville or join the armies operating against Richmond, as might be deemed best. This plan he was directed to carry into execution, if he received no further directions in the meantime. I explained to him, the movement I had ordered to commence on the twenty-ninth of March, that if it should not prove as entirely successful as I hoped, I WOULD CUT THE CAVALRY LOOSE TO DESTROY THE DANVILLE AND SOUTHSIDE RAILROADS AND THUS DEPRIVE THE ENEMY OF FURTHER SUPPLIES AND ALSO TO PREVENT THE RAPID CONCENTRATION OF LEE'S AND JOHNSTON'S ARMIES. I HAD SPENT DAYS OF ANXIETY LEST EACH MORNING SHOULD BRING THE REPORT THAT THE ENEMY HAD RETREATED THE NIGHT BEFORE. I WAS FIRMLY CONVINCED. That sherman's crossing the roanoke would be the signal for lee to leave with johnston and him combined a long tedious and expensive campaign consuming most of the summer might become necessary by moving out i would put the army in better condition for pursuit and would at least by the destruction of the danville road retard the concentration of the two armies of lee and johnston and caused the enemy to abandon such material that he might otherwise save. i therefore determined not to delay the movement ordered on the night of the twenty-seventh major-general ord with two divisions of the twenty-fourth corps major-general gibbon commanding and one division of the twenty-fifth corps brigadier-general burney commanding and mackenzie's cavalry took up his line of march in pursuance of the foregoing instructions and reached the position assigned him near hatcher's run on the morning of the twenty-ninth on the twenty-eighth the following instructions were given to general sheridan city point virginia march twenty eighth eighteen sixty five general the fifth army corps will move by the vaughan road at three a m to-morrow morning the second moves at about nine a m having but about three miles to march to reach the point designated for it to take on the right of the fifth corps after the latter reaching dinwiddie court house move your cavalry at as early an hour as you can and without being confined to any particular road or roads you may go out by the nearest roads in rear of the fifth corps, pass by its left, and passing near to or through Dinwiddie, reach the right and rear of the enemy as soon as you can. It is not the intention to attack the enemy in his entrenched position, but to force him out, if possible. Should he come out and attack us, or get himself where he can be attacked, move in with your entire force in your own way and with the full reliance that the army will engage or follow as circumstances will dictate i shall be on the field and will probably be able to communicate with you should i not do so and you find that the enemy keeps within his main entrenched line you may cut loose and push for the danville road if you find it practicable, I would like you to cross the South Side Road between Petersburg and Burksville and destroy it to some extent. I would not advise much detention, however, until you reach the Danville Road, which I would like you to strike as near to the Appomattox as possible. Make your destruction of that road as complete as possible. You can then pass on to the south side road west of berksville and destroy that in like manner after having accomplished the destruction of the two railroads which are now the only avenues of supply to lee's army you may return to this army selecting your road further south or you may go into north carolina and join general sherman should you select the latter course get the information to me as early as possible so that i may send orders to meet you at goldsboro u s grant lieutenant general major general p h sheridan on the morning of the twenty-ninth the movement commenced at night the cavalry was at denwiddie courthouse and the left of our infantry line extended to the quaker road near its intersection with the boydton plank road the position of the troops from left to right was as follows sheridan warren humphreys ord Wright, park everything looked favorable to the defeat of the enemy and the capture of petersburg and richmond if the proper effort was made i therefore addressed the following communication to general sheridan having previously informed him verbally not to cut loose for the raid contemplated in his orders until he received notice from me to do so. Gravelly Creek, March ninth, 1865 General, our line is now unbroken from the Appomattox to Dinwiddie. We are all ready, however, to give up all from the Jerusalem Plank Road to Hatcher's Run whenever the forces can be used advantageously. After getting into line south of Hatcher's, we pushed forward to find the enemy's position. General Griffin was attacked near where the Quaker Road intersects the Boynton Road, but repulsed it easily, capturing about 100 men. Humphreys reached Dabney's Mill and was pushing on when last heard from i now feel like ending the matter if it is possible to do so before going back i do not want you therefore to cut loose and go after the enemy's roads at present in the morning push around the enemy if you can and get on to his right rear the movements of the enemy's cavalry may of course modify your action We will act altogether as one army here until it is seen what can be done with the enemy. The signal officer at Cobbs's Hill reported at half-past 11 a.m. that a cavalry column had passed that point from Richmond towards Petersburg taking 40 minutes to pass. U.S. Grant Lieutenant General, Major General P.H. Sheridan from the night of the twenty-ninth to the morning of the thirty-first the rain fell in such torrents as to make it impossible to move a wheeled vehicle except as corduroy roads were laid in front of them during the thirtieth sheridan advanced from dim courthouse towards five forks where he found the enemy in full force general warren advanced and extended his line across the Boynted plank road to near the white oak road, with a view of getting across the ladder, but, finding the enemy strong in his front and extending beyond his left, was directed to hold on where he was and fortify. General Humphreys drove the enemy from his front into his main line on the hatcher near Burgess's Mills, Generals Ord, Wright, and Park, made examinations in their fronts to determine the feasibility of an assault on the enemy's lines. The two latter reported favorably, the enemy confronting us as he did at every point from Richmond to our extreme left, I conceived his lines must be weakly held and could be penetrated if my estimate of his forces was correct. I determined, therefore, to extend our line no farther, but to reinforce General Sheridan with a corps of infantry and thus enable him to cut loose and turn the enemy's right flank and with the other corps assault the enemy's lines. The result of the offensive effort of the enemy the week before, when he assaulted Fort Stedman, particularly favored this. The enemy's entrenched picket line captured by us at that time threw the lines occupied by the belligerents so close together at some points that it was but a moment's run from one to the other. Preparations were at once made to relieve General Humphrey's corps to report to General Sheridan, but the condition of the roads prevented immediate movement. On the morning of the 31st, General Warren reported favorably to getting possession of the White Oak Road and was directed to do so. To accomplish this, he moved with one division instead of his whole corps, which was attacked by the enemy in superior force and driven back on the second division before it had time to form, and it, in turn, forced back upon the third division when the enemy was checked a division of the second corps was immediately sent to his support the enemy driven back with heavy loss and possession of the white oak road gained sheridan advanced and with a portion of his cavalry got possession of the five forks but the enemy after the affair with the fifth corps reinforced the rebel cavalry defending that point with infantry, and forced him back towards Dinwiddie Courthouse. Here General Sheridan displayed great generalship. Instead of retreating, with his whole command on the main army, to tell the story of superior forces encountered, he deployed his cavalry on foot, leaving only mounted men enough to take charge of the horses, this compelled the enemy to deploy over a vast extent of wooded and broken country and made his progress slow. At this juncture, he dispatched to me what had taken place and that he was dropping back slowly on Dinwiddie Courthouse. General Mackenzie's cavalry and one division of the 5th Corps were immediately ordered to his assistance soon after receiving a report from General Meade that Humphreys could hold our position on the Boyington Road and that the other two divisions of the 5th Corps could go to Sheridan, they were so ordered at once. Thus the operations of the day necessitated descending of Warren because of his accessibility instead of Humphreys, as was intended, and precipitated intended movements. On the morning of the 1st of April, General Sheridan, reinforced by General Warren, drove the enemy back on five forks, where late in the evening he assaulted and carried his strongly fortified position, capturing all his artillery and between five and six thousand prisoners. About the close of this battle, Brevet Major General Charles Griffin relieved Major General Warren in command of the 5th Corps. The report of this reached me after nightfall. Some apprehensions filled my mind, lest the enemy might desert his lines during the night, and by falling upon General Sheridan, before assistance could reach him, drive him from his position and open the way for retreat. To guard against this, general miles's division of humphrey's corps was sent to reinforce him and a bombardment was commenced and kept up until four o'clock in the morning april second when an assault was ordered on the enemy's lines general wright penetrated the lines with his whole corps sweeping everything before him and to his left towards hatcher's run capturing many guns and several thousand prisoners. He was closely followed by two divisions of General Ord's command until he met the other division of General Ord's that had succeeded in forcing the enemy's lines near Hatcher's Run. Generals Wright and Ord immediately swung to the right and closed all of the enemy on that side of them in Petersburg while General Humphreys pushed forward with two divisions and joined General Wright on the left. General Park succeeded in carrying the enemy's main line, capturing guns and prisoners, but was unable to carry his inner line. General Sheridan, being advised of the condition of affairs, returned General Miles to his proper command. On reaching the enemy's lines immediately surrounding Petersburg, a portion of General Gibbon's corps, by a most gallant charge, captured two strong enclosed works, the most salient and commanding south of Petersburg, thus materially shortening the line of investment necessary for taking in the city. The enemy south of Hatcher's Run retreated westward to Sutherland Station, where they were overtaken by Miles's division. A severe engagement ensued, and lasted until both his right and left flanks were threatened by the approach of General Sheridan, who was moving from Ford's station towards Petersburg, and a division sent by General Meade from the front of Petersburg, when he broke in the utmost confusion leaving in our hands his guns and many prisoners. This force retreated by the main road along the Appomattox River. During the night of the 2nd, the enemy evacuated Petersburg and Richmond and retreated towards Danville. On the morning of the 3rd, pursuit was commenced. General Sheridan pushed for the Danville Road, keeping near the Appomattox, Followed by General Meade with the second and sixth corps, while General Ord moved for Brooksville along the South Side Road. The ninth corps stretched along that road behind him. On the fourth, General Sheridan struck the Danville Road near Jettersville, where he learned that Lee was at Amelia Court House. He immediately intrenched himself and awaited the arrival of General Meade who reached there the next day. General Ord reached Berksville on the evening of the 5th. On the morning of the 5th, I addressed Major General Sherman the following communication. Wilson's Station April 5, 1865. General, all indications now are that Lee will attempt to reach Danville with the remnant of his force. Sheridan, who was up with him last night reports all that is left horse foot and dragoons at twenty thousand much demoralized we hope to reduce this number one-half i shall push on to berksville and if a stand is made at denville will in a very few days go there if you can possibly do so push on from where you are and let us see if we cannot finish the job with Lee's and Johnston's armies. Whether it will be better for you to strike for Greensboro or nearer to Danville, you will be better able to judge when you receive this. Rebel armies now are the only strategic points to strike at. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General, Major General W.T. Sherman. On the morning of the 6th, it was found that General Lee was moving west of Jeddersville towards Danville. General Sheridan moved with his cavalry, the 5th Corps, having been returned to General Meade on his reaching Jeddersville, to strike his flank, followed by the 6th Corps, while the 2nd and 5th Corps pressed hard after forcing him to abandon several hundred wagons and several pieces of artillery. General Ord advanced from Burksville towards Farmville, sending two regiments of infantry and a squadron of cavalry under Brevet Brigadier General Theodore Reed to reach and destroy the bridges. This advance met the head of Lee's Column near Farmville, which it heroically attacked and detained until General Reed was killed and his small force overpowered. This caused a delay in the enemy's movements and enabled General Ord to get well up with the remainder of his force, on meeting which the enemy immediately entrenched himself. In the afternoon, General Sheridan struck the enemy south of Sailor's Creek captured sixteen pieces of artillery and about four hundred wagons, and detained him until the sixth Corps got up, when a general attack of infantry and cavalry was made, which resulted in the capture of six or seven thousand prisoners, among whom were many general officers. The movements of the second corps and General Ord's command contributed greatly to the day's success. On the morning of the 7th, the pursuit was renewed. The cavalry, except one division, and the 5th Corps, moving by Prince Edward's courthouse, the 6th Corps, General Ord's command, and one division of cavalry on Farmville, and the 2nd Corps by the High Bridge Road. It was soon found that the enemy had crossed to the north side of the Appomattox, but so close was the pursuit. That the second corps got possession of the common bridge at Highbridge before the enemy could destroy it, and immediately crossed over. The Sixth Corps and a division of cavalry crossed at Farmville to its support. Feeling now that General Lee's chance of escape was utterly hopeless, I addressed him the following communication from Farmville, April seventh, eighteen sixty-five general the result of the last week must convince you of the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the army of northern virginia in this struggle i feel that it is so and regard it as my duty to shift from myself the responsibility of any further effusion of blood by asking of you the surrender of that portion of the Confederate States Army known as the Army of Northern Virginia, U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General, General R. E. Lee. Early on the morning of the 8th, before leaving, I received at Farmville the following, April 7, 1865, General, I have received your note of this date though not entertaining the opinion you express on the hopelessness of further resistance on the part of the Army of Northern Virginia, I reciprocate your desire to avoid useless effusion of blood, and therefore, before considering your proposition, ask the terms you will offer on condition of its surrender. R.E. Lee, General. Lieutenant General, U.S. Grant. To this I immediately replied, April 8, eighth eighteen sixty five, General, your note of last evening, in reply to mine of same date, asking the condition on which I will accept the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia, is just received. In reply I would say that peace being my great desire, there is but one condition I would insist upon, namely, that the men and officers surrendered shall be disqualified for taking up arms again against the government of the United States until properly exchanged. I will meet you, or will designate officers to meet any officer you may name for the same purpose at any point agreeable to you, for the purpose of arranging definitely the terms upon which the surrender of the army of the northern virginia will be received u s grant lieutenant-general general General r e lee early on the morning of the eighth the pursuit was resumed general meade followed north of the appomattox and general sheridan with all the cavalry pushed straight ahead for Appomattox Station, followed by General Ord's command and the 5th Corps. During the day, General Meade's advance had considerable fighting with the enemy's rear guard, but was unable to bring on a general engagement. Late in the evening, General Sheridan struck the railroad at Appomattox Station, drove the enemy from there, and captured 25 pieces of artillery a hospital train, and four trains of cars loaded with supplies for Lee's army. During this day, I accompanied General Meade's column, and about midnight received the following communication from General Lee. April 8, 1865. General, I received at a late hour your note of today. In mine of yesterday... I did not intend to propose the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia, but to ask the terms of your proposition. To be frank, I do not think the emergency has risen to call for the surrender of this army, but as the restoration of peace should be the sole object of all, I desired to know whether your proposal would lead to that end i cannot therefore meet you with a view to the surrender of the army of northern virginia but as far as your proposal may affect the confederate state's forces under my command and tend to the restoration of peace i should be pleased to meet you at ten a m to-morrow on the old stage road to richmond between the picket lines of the two armies r e lee general Lieutenant General U.S. Grant Early in the morning of the ninth, I returned him an answer as follows and immediately started to join the column south of the Appomattox. April 9, 1865 General, your note of yesterday is received. I have no authority to treat on the subject of peace. The meeting proposed for 10 a.m. today could lead to no good. I will state, however, General, that I am equally anxious for peace with yourself, and the whole North entertains the same feeling. The terms upon which peace can be had are well understood. By the South laying down their arms, they will hasten that most desirable event, save thousands of human lives and hundreds of millions of property not yet destroyed. Seriously hoping that all our difficulties may be settled without the loss of another life i subscribe myself etc u s grant lieutenant general general r e lee on this morning of the ninth general ord's command and the fifth corps reached appomattox station just as the enemy was making a desperate effort to break through our cavalry the infantry was at once thrown in soon after a white flag was received requesting a suspension of hostilities pending negotiations for a surrender before reaching general sheridan's headquarters i received the following from general lee april eighteen sixty five general i received your note of this morning on the picket line whether I had come to meet you and ascertain definitely what terms were embraced in your proposal of yesterday with reference to the surrender of this army. I now ask an interview in accordance with the offer contained in your letter of yesterday for that purpose. R. E. Lee, General, Lieutenant General, U. S. Grant. The interview was held at Appomattox Court House, the result of which is set forth in the following correspondence. Appomattox Court House, Virginia, April ninth, eighteen sixty five. General, in accordance with the substance of my letter to you of the eighth instant, I propose to receive the surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia on the following terms, to wit, rolls of all the officers and men to be made in duplicate one copy to be given to an officer to be designated by me the other to be retained by such officer or officers as you may designate the officers to give their individual paroles not to take up arms against the government of the united states until properly exchanged and each company or regimental commander sign a like parole for the men of their commands the arms artillery and public property to be parked and stacked and turned over to the officers appointed by me to receive them this will not embrace the side arms of the officers nor their private horses or baggage this done each officer and man will be allowed to return to his home not to be disturbed by United States authorities so long as they observe their paroles and the laws in force where they may reside. U.S. Grant, Lieutenant General. General R. E. Lee. Headquarters, Army of Northern Virginia, April 9, 1865. General, I have received your letter of this date, containing the terms of surrender of the Army of Northern Virginia as proposed by you. As they are substantially the same as those expressed in your letter of the eighth instant, they are accepted. I will proceed to designate the proper officers to carry the stipulations into effect. R. E. Lee, General, Lieutenant General U. S. Grant. The command of Major General Gibbon, the Fifth Army Corps under Griffin and Mackenzie's cavalry were designated to remain at Appomattox Court House until the paroling of the surrendered army was completed, and to take charge of the public property. The remainder of the army immediately returned to the vicinity of Berksville. General Lee's great influence throughout the whole South caused his example to be followed and today the result is that the armies lately under his leadership are at their homes desiring peace and quiet and their arms are in the hands of our ordnance officers on the receipt of my letter of the fifth general sherman moved directly against joe johnston who retreated rapidly on and through raleigh which place General Sherman occupied on the morning of the 13th. The day preceding, news of the surrender of General Lee reached him at Smithfield. On the 14th, a correspondence was opened between General Sherman and General Johnston, which resulted, on the 18th, in an agreement for a suspension of hostilities and a memorandum or basis for peace, subject to the approval of the President. This agreement was disapproved by the President on the 21st, which disapproval, together with your instructions, was communicated to General Sherman by me in person on the morning of the 24th at Raleigh, North Carolina, in obedience to your orders. Notice was at once given by him to General Johnston for the termination of the truce that had been entered into on the twenty-fifth another meeting between them was agreed upon to take place on the twenty-sixth which terminated in the surrender and disbandment of johnston's army upon substantially the same terms as were given to general lee the expedition under general stoneman from east tennessee got off on the twentieth of march moving by way of boone north carolina and struck the railroad at wytheville chambersburg and big lick the force striking it at big lick pushed on to within a few miles of lynchburg destroying the important bridges while with the main force he effectually destroyed it between new river and big lick and then turned for greensboro on the north carolina railroad struck that road and destroyed the bridges between Danville and Greensboro and between Greensboro and the Yadkin, together with the depots of supplies along it, and captured four hundred prisoners. At Salisbury, he attacked and defeated a force of the enemy under General Gardner, capturing 14 pieces of artillery and 1,364 prisoners and destroyed large amounts of army stores. At this place, he destroyed 15 miles of railroad and the bridges towards Charlotte. Thence he moved to Slattersville, General Canby who had been directed in January to make preparations for a movement from Mobile Bay against Mobile and the interior of Alabama, commenced his movement on the 20th of March. The 16th Corps, Major General A.J. Smith commanding, moved from Fort Gaines by water to Fish River. The 13th Corps, under Major General Gordon Granger, moved from fort morgan and joined the sixteenth corps on fish river both moving thence on spanish fort and investing it on the twenty-seventh while major general steele's command moved from pensacola cut the railroad leading from Tensas to montgomery effected a junction with them and partially invested fort blakely After a severe bombardment of Spanish Fort, a part of its line was carried on the 8th of April. During the night, the enemy evacuated the fort. Fort Blakely was carried by assault on the ninth, and many prisoners captured. Our loss was considerable. These successes practically opened to us the Alabama River and enabled us to approach Mobile from the north. On the night of the 11th, the city was evacuated and was taken possession of by our forces on the morning of the 12th. The expedition under command of Brevet Major General Wilson, consisting of 12,500 mounted men, was delayed by rains until March 22nd when it moved from Chickasaw, Alabama, on the first of april general wilson encountered the enemy in force under Forrest near ebenezer church drove him in confusion captured three hundred prisoners and three guns and destroyed the central bridge over the cahaba river on the second he attacked and captured the fortified city of selma defended by Forrest with seven thousand men and thirty-two guns destroyed the arsenal armory, naval foundry, machine shops, vast quantities of stores, and captured 3,000 prisoners. On the 4th, he captured and destroyed Tuscaloosa. On the 10th, he crossed the Alabama River, and, after sending information of his operations to General Canby, marched on Montgomery, which place he occupied on the 14th, the enemy having abandoned it at this place many stores and five steamboats fell into our hands thence a force marched direct on columbus and another on west point both of which places were assaulted and captured on the sixteenth at the former place we got one thousand five hundred prisoners and fifty-two field guns destroyed two gunboats the navy yard foundries arsenal many factories, and much other public property. At the latter place, we got 300 prisoners, 4 guns, and destroyed 19 locomotives and 300 cars. On the 20th, he took possession of Macon, Georgia, with 60 field guns, 1,200 militia, and 5 generals surrendered by General Howell Cobb. General Wilson, hearing that Jefferson Davis was trying to make his escape, sent forces in pursuit and succeeded in capturing him on the morning of May 11. On the fourth day of May, General Dick Taylor surrendered to General Canby all the remaining rebel forces east of the Mississippi. A force sufficient to ensure an easy triumph over the enemy under Kirby Smith west of the mississippi was immediately put in motion for texas and major-general sheridan designated for its immediate command but on the twenty-sixth day of may and before they reached their destination general kirby smith surrendered his entire command to major-general canby this surrender did not take place however until after the capture of the rebel president and vice-president and the bad faith was exhibited of first disbanding most of his army and permitting an indiscriminate plunder of public property owing to the report that many of those lately in arms against the government had taken refuge upon the soil of mexico carrying with them arms rightfully belonging to the united states which had been surrendered to us by agreement among them some of the leaders who had surrendered in person and the disturbed condition of affairs on the rio grande the orders for troops to proceed to texas were not changed there have been severe combats raids expeditions and movements to defeat the designs and purposes of the enemy most of them reflecting great credit on our arms and which contributed greatly to our final triumph that i have not mentioned many of these will be found clearly set forth in the reports herewith submitted some of the telegrams and brief dispatches announcing them and others i regret to say have not as yet been officially reported for information touching our indian difficulties I would respectfully refer to the reports of the commanders of departments in which they have occurred. It has been my fortune to see the armies of both the West and the East fight battles, and from what I have seen I know there is no difference in their fighting qualities. All that it was possible for men to do in battle they have done the western armies commenced their battles in the mississippi valley and received the final surrender of the remnant of the principal army opposed to them in north carolina the armies of the east commenced their battles on the river from which the army of the potomac derived its name and received the final surrender of their old antagonist at appomattox court house virginia The splendid achievement of each have nationalized our victories, removed all sectional jealousies of which we have unfortunately experienced too much, and the cause of crimination and recrimination that might have followed had either section failed in its duty. All have a proud record and all sections can well congratulate themselves and each other for having done their full share in restoring the supremacy of law over every foot of territory belonging to the united states let them hope for perpetual peace and harmony with that enemy whose manhood however mistaken the cause drew forth such herculean deeds of valor i have the honor to be very respectfully your obedient servant u s grant lieutenant-general The End End of Section 72, Part 4 of 4 End of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant Recording by Jim Clevenger Little Rock, Arkansas Jim at J-O-C-C-L-E-V dot com